We shall now turn to the chapter which we read together, Esther chapter 4, and we can read again verse 14, Esther 4 verse 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth? whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. The story of Esther is fascinating. It's amazing that in this whole book of ten chapters, not once is the name of God mentioned. And yet... God is everywhere present in this book. Everywhere present. It reveals to us God's providence. What is God's providence? As always, the shorter catechism is so helpful. God's providence is his most holy, wise and powerful restraining and governing all his creatures and all their actions. God's preserving of all things, restraining, governing, watching over all his creatures and all their actions. God cares, cares for all. He cares even for the beasts in the field, the sparrows that fly in the air. But he cares specially for his people. And God's people in this world have many cruel enemies. But God is a wall of fire around his people and the glory in their midst. They are engraved upon the palms of his hands so that he always sees his people and their walls are continually before him. Can a mother forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion upon the son of her womb? Yea, even they may forget, yet will I not forget you, saith the Lord. God has a wonderful love for his people. Now, ever since the Garden of Eden, Satan has a terrible hatred for God's people. And the seed of the devil, the children of the devil, they hate the children of God. So there is constantly a battle going on. Satan is trying to destroy the church and trying to destroy the coming Messiah. But this book tells us that God's people are more than conquerors. It's wonderful, isn't it? You're one of the Lord's people. You're on the winning side. Who would want to be on the devil's side? The devil's doomed and all who follow him are doomed to hell. But if you're on the Lord's side, it may seem that you lose a battle here or there, but you win the war. At the end of the day, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
Well, first of all, I want you to notice this man, Mordecai, standing for God. I've sometimes heard Mordecai being criticized. Criticized as a kind of arrogant man and proud individual and an awkward character and a difficult person. Actually, Mordecai is a wonderful servant of the Lord. When you're assessing a person's character, you always have to look at what the Bible itself tells us about that person. And so if you turn to the last chapter in the book of Esther, you're told there what kind of person Mordecai was in the sight of God. We're told that he was next to the king, great among the Jews, seeking the welfare of his people, and speaking peace to all his seed. He is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, a type of the, the Messiah. Mordecai was a great man of God and certainly somebody to be admired for his faithfulness, his stand for the Lord. <coughs> now what about his em enemy, Haman? What sort of character was he? Well, he's described for us as the Agagite, the son of Agag. Who was Agag? You remember Agag was a king of the Amalekites. In fact, there seems to have been several kings. It would be a name like, like Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And you remember how the Amalekites attacked the Israelites when they left Egypt and they were on their way to the promised land, how they attacked them at the rear, particularly any Israelites who were lagging behind, who were struggling with the way. And you remember what God said, that he would have war continually with Amalek. And God told King Saul to go and destroy the Amalekites. But you remember how Saul spared some of them. He spared Agag. Well, here we find an Agagite. A son of Agag, still alive, yes. Later generations, much later, this son of Agag is here and he tries to destroy the whole Jewish nation. What an enemy he is of God's people. A wicked, wicked man. He's proud. He demands that everybody worship him. Bow to him in adoration and worship. <clears throat> now that's no great problem for a polytheist. For somebody who believes in many gods, they can add another god without too much difficulty. One man was telling me how he was in a, a shop in um, Singapore. And there was a sale on in the shop. You could buy three gods for the price of two. How crazy! Buy three gods for the price of two. Well, for these polytheists, it was no great problem to worship Haman as well. But for somebody who believed in the one living and true God, creator of heaven and earth and the judge of all mankind, 
There is one God only. It's a terrible thing to bow to any other God or to show reverence to any other. So here's this man and he's looking for worship. And there's one person who's prepared not to worship him. And that's Mordecai the Jew. Whatever it costs him. You can think of other Jews. Remember the three men in in, uh, Shushan the palace? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar demanded that they bow and worship his image that he had made. But they weren't prepared to worship. He threatened them with a fire. They still weren't prepared to worship his golden image. He said, who can deliver you out of my hand? They said, God can deliver us out of our hand, out of your hand, if he wants to. And if he chooses not to, we still will not worship your golden image. We worship one living and true God. Nebuchadnezzar made the oven seven times hotter than it was before. And still they refused to bow and worship. So they were cast into the burning fiery furnace. But God delivered them. And you think of another man, Daniel, who was commanded not to worship any but the king and pray to any but the king for 30 days. He refused. He was cast into the den of lions. God looked after him there. We must obey God rather than men. We must worship God and God alone. Here's this man then, Mordecai, and he's prepared to stand for God. Will you stand for God? Do you stand for God amongst your friends, your neighbours, your workplace, your school, wherever you are? Will you stand on God's side? Remember, if you're ashamed of God, he will be ashamed of you on the judgment day. Standing for God. The next thing we notice then is Haman's hatred. Haman was carried away with his own importance. He's so proud. He discovers that there's one man who won't bow to him, Mordecai. But he discovers something more. It's not just Mordecai, but Mordecai won't bow to him for religious reasons, because of his religion. And so he discovers that there's this people, the Jewish people, and they just believe in one God. So he thinks to himself, well, it's not enough to just punish Mordecai. I'm going to punish all these people too. And I'm going to destroy that whole Jewish people. I'm going to destroy all the people of God. Notice how Satan has taken him over. So he's determined to massacre and destroy all the people of God. And he devises a plan. He goes to see the king. And he's very friendly with the king. And he offers the king a vast sum of money. 10,000 talents of silver. A vast amount of money. If the king will bring out this decree that wherever the Jews are to be found in all the provinces of Ahasuerus, every single Jew 
will be put to death. What a hellish plot, straight from the devil. The seed of the serpent is always out to destroy the seed of the woman. <clears throat> we think of Herod. Remember his determination to kill the baby Jesus, killing all the children in Bethlehem. Every little infant in Bethlehem killed so as to make sure that Jesus was dead. How wicked, straight from the devil. We think of Pharaoh earlier on in the land of Egypt trying to destroy all the, all the male children. Every male child has to be thrown into the Nile, drowned. Another attempt to destroy the seed of God and the Messiah. Satan has been at it down through the generations. Since then, of course, since the New Testament time, you have people like Nero and Julian the Apostate and other Caesars who have tried to destroy Christianity, to wipe it out. And you still get the same sort of thing today. You have somebody like President Xi in China who has brought out decrees that no children are to be taught the Christian religion so that the Christian religion will die out. The Bible has been taken and it's been translated into a new communist Bible and it's going to be the only Bible legitimate in China, a Bible that supports the communist party, distorting the holy scriptures. And the evident aim of Satan is to wipe out the church in China. There is hatred for the Christian church. Here we have Haman full of hatred. The next thing I want you to notice is God's wonderful plan from all eternity. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything that's going to happen a hundred years from now just as much as he knows everything that's happening today and everything that happened in the past. God's knowledge is infinite. That means it's got no bounds. He knows everything it's possible to know. Everything that everyone knows he knows it all. He knows everything that ever went through your heart, your mind. Every thought you ever thought. Every imagination that you had in your mind. God knows it all. He knows it all immediately. His, his mind is so massive. He knows everything that ever took place and everything that ever will take place into eternity and the future. So there's nothing takes God by surprise. But more than that, there's nothing that happens but according to his plan and will. That's how he can know it. He knows it because he's planned it. And he works out all things according, Ephesians 1 verse 11 says, works out all things according to the counsel of his own will. He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. So every single detail is known to God because every single detail of your life, my life, everyone's life 
is planned by God. He predestinates whatsoever comes to pass. Now, the first chapter begins by telling us how Vashti the queen offended the king. Vashti was an early feminist, just like the woke culture today, reacting against this privileged man, Ahasuerus. She's not going to obey him. She's going to do what she wants. And you remember how she is to be removed from the position of queen. That was in God's plan. And then the plan was suggested to the king that they search around all the kingdoms of the empire to find the most beautiful women. So that from amongst these, the queen will, the queen will be selected by the king. And amongst all these women that are gathered into the palace, there's one poor Jew, an orphan girl, Esther, who was being brought up by her uncle Mordecai. Mordecai told her, don't tell anybody what race you come from. Don't tell anyone you're a Jew. All these things are in God's plan. If she had told she was a Jew then, you can think of the various complications there would be in the whole story. But, so she tells nobody that she's a Jew. And she's brought into the palace, and there in the palace, Haggai, the keeper of women, is impressed with Esther. Why is he impressed with Esther? Because God makes him impressed with Esther. And then Esther goes before the king, and the king likes Esther more than all the other women. Why? Because that was God's plan. Because God made him to like Esther better than the rest. It's all in God's wonderful working out of providence for the good of his own people, for the salvation of his church. God plans everything from the beginning. And so we find this woman... Esther selected to be the queen and crowned as king, as queen. Nothing happens by chance. God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. A plan from all eternity. Before the world was ever created, it was planned that Esther <coughs> would be queen. The next thing I want you to notice is the amazing timing in this whole story. Haman hates Mordecai. He has a hugely inflated view of himself. He's so proud. He wants to destroy all the Jews. And he's successful. He manages to persuade the king to write this... Um, Law that all Jews should be exterminated on a certain day. And so he's quite happy with himself for a while. But then as he walks around, he notices there's this man, Mordecai, who still won't bow to him. And it really gets under his skin. He gets so annoyed at this. And he comes home and he tells his wife and he tells his friends... 
about what a wonderful time he had. He had been invited by the queen to her banquet along with the king. The only other person been invited to the banquet was Haman. He's so special. He's so unique. And he's there with the king, <coughs> with the beautiful queen there uh, at the banquet. But there's this horrible man, Mordecai, and he just won't bow to me. He just won't honour me. So his friends say to him, Well, I think it would be a good idea if you made some gallows. Make big gallows in your house. And you go in next morning and tell the king that you want Mordecai hanged. And I'm sure he'll give you permission. And that'll be it. You can deal with him and you get your revenge on Mordecai. Sounded a terrible plan. Very cunning plan. Very likely to be successful. But that's only when you leave God out of the equation. And there's the king, Ahasuerus, goes to bed and he cannot sleep. Some people, when they can't sleep, they get a book to read. and <coughs> They read this book and if it's a boring book, it maybe helps them to get asleep. So the king is there lying and he asks for somebody to bringing a book to read to him. And this person brings, brings in the chronicles of the kingdom, <coughs> sure to be very boring in and of themselves. So he starts to, this man starts reading to the king to try and put him to sleep. But um, he reads there about two men, Big Thanesh and Tharesh, who plotted to assassinate the king. And there was a man, Mordecai, who found out about it and warned the king so the king's life was spared. So the king asked his uh, courtiers, what reward did Mordecai get for saving the life of the king? And they had forgotten to give him a reward. Well, people forget when God means them to forget. It's all in God's plan, you see. God's plan includes everything. God's plan is so wonderful. And the king thinks, well, that's terrible. This man has never been rewarded. We've got to get a reward for the king. I wonder what a great reward would be for the king. Next morning early, there's Haman in the court of the palace waiting to come in to ask the king to execute Mordecai. King asks, who's in the court of the palace? Haman's there. Tell Haman to come in. Before Haman can say a word, he says to him, what shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honour? Haman thinks, well, who would the king want to honour but me? So he thinks, well, it's very arrogant, really. He says, I would like um, such a person, I think it would be a great idea if they were clothed in the royal robes and the king's crown put on his head and he was placed upon the king's horse and one of the noblest of the king's princes lead him through the city, crying out, thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honour. Haman saying, just exactly what he would like done to himself. And then the king says, well, go do that to Mordecai. How shocked he must have been. How absolutely shocked. And he goes and he has to do it. 
He has to do it all. And you can imagine him there walking through Shushan with Mordecai with a crown on his head and the royal robes sitting upon the princely horse of the king. Thus shall be done to the man and the king delights to honor. And he goes home with his head between his hands, covered in confusion. It's wonderful to be on the Lord's side. It's awful to be an enemy of God, to be under his wrath and his condemnation. He tells his wife and his friends what had happened. And they begin to think, well, he said, actually these Jewish people are kind of special. They've got an amazing history. They begin to think about it. Perhaps they thought about Egypt. Perhaps they thought about them coming through the desert and God feeding them in the wilderness with bread from heaven and water from the rock and about their conquering of the Canaanites and how God had blessed them. And they said, if you have begun to fall at the hand of Mordecai, a Jew, things aren't looking too bright for you, really. So finally we see the judgment upon God's enemies. Haman is thinking over these things with his wife and his friends when a servant comes from the palace and says, you're expected at a banquet. So quickly he's got ready and he sets off for the banquet, puts on his best clothes, his best suit, and away he goes. And he comes to the banquet and he's invited in and there's the queen in all her beauty and splendor and the king upon his throne. And, and then the king asks the queen for the second time, what is her request? What does she desire? What does she want? Even unto half his kingdom he will give it to her. She falls down before him and says, all I want is my life. Who's threatening your life? This man here, this wicked Haman, this wicked man, he, if, he had, if he had sold us for slaves, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have complained, but he's wanting to not only exterminate me, but all my people. The king is absolutely shocked, and he goes out to walk in the garden and then Haman comes and he falls before the queen on the bed before the queen king comes in and he says is he trying to force the queen as well and so the servants cover Haman's face and carry him out and the king is then told about the gallows that he has prepared in order to hang Mordecai on these gallows the one who has spoken well concerning the king and saved his life Go hang him on his own gallows. And so Haman is carried away and hanged on the gallows that he made for the man of God. How terrible it is to be an enemy of God's people. How important it is for you and me to make our peace with God. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near, before it's too late. It is appointed unto men once to die, 
And after that, the judgment. We've got to prepare. We've got to get ready. We've got to be on the Lord's side, entering into eternity. If you're still unconverted today, you're in a dangerous, dangerous position. How terrible to die and go to hell. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Far worse than what happened to Haman, hanged to death. Sent to hell to be tormented forever. The Lord Jesus Christ is able to save, willing to save. Call upon him and you'll be saved. Child of God, just think how blessed you are. Think of how privileged you are. Think of how wonderful it is to know that from all eternity, God has a plan for your life. And that plan includes everything. God loves you. He cares for you. And he cares for you so much that every single detail of your life from birth to death is all calculated for your good. And although you have enemies, and although there's Satan and his hordes against you, you've got a great future. A wonderful future. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. It is God who justifieth, who is he that condemneth. Christ has died, yea, risen again, who is even at the right hand of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall death or life or principalities or powers? Nothing. Tribulation? No, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've got a great future. Be strong and of good courage. Rejoice in the Lord always. You're blessed and you'll always will be blessed. You've got a great future. Rejoice in the Lord and spend your life praising him. He's worthy. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we thank thee for this wonderful story that tells us of God's providence and God's love for his people. And we thank thee that although kings and princes, nations and empires have set themselves, yes, and even hell itself has set itself against the Lord's people, that God's people are more than conquerors. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, Lord, help us then to rejoice in Christ Jesus, to rejoice in the finished work of Christ, to rejoice in the house of many mansions that he has gone to prepare for us, and to rejoice that even in this world of tribulations and trials, we know that nothing happens but for our good. So encourage us in thyself and bless us and pardon sin for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Amen.
We shall close singing Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me the quiet waters by. My soul he doth restore again, and me to walk doth make within the paths of righteousness, even for his own name's sake. A psalm that tells us of God's great care and love for his people. are as follows. The evening series at the usual time of 6.30pm. The prayer meeting on Thursday, the usual time of 730 
taken by Mr. Ian Martin. The services next Sabbath at the usual times of 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. will be taken by the Reverend Graham Craig. Mr. Craig will also take the next prayer meeting on the 19th of October and the services the following Sabbath, 22nd October. There is a presbytery meeting at Bewley Free Church Continuing on, th on Tuesday when the presbytery will meet with the congregation to deal with their call to Reverend Greg MacDonald. Presbytery members will meet at 7.15pm and meet with the congregation at 7.30pm. These are all the intimations. <coughs> Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, Union of the Holy Spirit be with you all.